Welcome to This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Please enjoy your session. Clickety clack, the bitch is back. How we doing, fam? Took a little, took a little hiatus. Um, week before last, I had a guest booked, and if you listen to the episode before that, uh, you'll understand why it is that I never have guests, and it's because I was once again ghosted. Yes, I was completely ghosted by this bitch. I had someone booked on the show. We were going to talk about you know, health and wellness, but like in a raunchy way, in a way that makes sense for, for me and for you. And literally at the last moment, I, you know, set up the Zoom thing. We did all the paperwork, all of the agreements, all of the everything. <laughs> like this is actually some kind of major production, the paperwork and the agreements. We had to arrange payment terms. No, there was no payment terms. We um, just had to agree upon like what kind of content we were going to be creating for each other and what the expectations would be there. And then at the last possible second, I send her the Zoom thing, I get on the call at the specified time, and I wait there with my dick in my hand, like the loser that I am, for 45 minutes, texting this bitch like some needy-ass boyfriend who's like, where are you? When are you coming home? I miss you. What are you doing? Why are you out with Veronica? I hate Veronica. Like, so annoying. And ultimately, I came to the conclusion that she had just ghosted my ass, like all of the rest before her, and I gave up on the situation. So that was fun. And then the week after, which is last week's or what would have been last week's episode, I knew that Harry, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were giving an interview to Oprah. And I really wanted to skip that week because I knew I wanted to do a podcast about the interview. But I wanted to skip a week because I wanted to give it like a full news cycle, like a full week for the palace to respond and to see if there was any response from the royal family or Prince William or Kate Middleton or the fucking queen herself or whoever. And turns out there was not, but there was a whole lot of commentary from the fucking peanut gallery talking about, oh my God, look, it's a billionaire, a millionaire, and another billionaire sitting down, royalty with, you know, daytime Emmy-winning royalty, talking about how oppressed they are. Folks, before I get into all this, and we're going to talk about some other things before we, <clears throat> before we get into that, the fact that we are now equating how much money you have with the status of your mental health is like everything that is wrong with this discussion. You can be clinically depressed. You can be really, really, really going through some extremely hard shit, but be filthy fucking rich also. Both things can exist. It is not a mutually exclusive situation. I don't know why we are pretending that it is, as if money is like this cure-all that's like, oh, I want to slip my wrist right now. <laughs> you know what? No, I have... 500 grand in the bank like I don't need to do that that's ridiculous problem solved that is the most ass backwards asinine shit I've ever heard the fact that this was even a narrative you know post this um, interview was disgusting we can do better let's do better also let's move on I'm podcasting from my car today because I am a 
uh, nomad in my own home. I am a stateless pirate wandering the seas. I have been banished to my car, and it's now my makeshift little studio. I actually keep some of my shit in here. I'm literally sitting in the driveway. I just watched the interview again, and after, I wanted to be really fresh in my mind um, before I started talking about it. I've watched it literally eight times, but I wanted to watch it one more time before I officially recorded this. I slithered out to my car. I am literally in rainbow socks, sparkly slide Adidas sandals, um, sweatpants, a Tom Brady t-shirt, wrapped in a beautiful um, faux sheepskin blanket, looking like a yard gnome, while all of my neighbors are outside enjoying this beautiful day. They see me exit my home which I ripped the doorknob off of my door, so I don't even know if I am going to be able to get back into my home on my way out. I just fully ripped the doorknob off because, I don't know, your girl is now the fucking Hulk. Slither outside, see me on all my glory. People are outside playing basketball. Little kids are on their bikes. Get into my car. I'm sure they were anticipating me exiting, actually leaving in my vehicle, But now I'm just sitting here and it's awkward as ass. And they're just like, I live in a cul-de-sac and they're just kind of like going around the circle, probably looking at me. I don't know. I don't care. But yeah, I am, um, I've been banished to my car for podcasting purposes because my husband uh, has taken up residence again in our basement. It is now again, once again, his makeshift office. And you know what? Like, fuck him. Get your own office. Leave. That was the whole point. You need to be in an office at work with people your own age that you can annoy. I'm just kidding, honey. I love you. I actually really love having my husband home all the time. It's actually a lot of fun. I really do enjoy him quite a bit. We have a wonderful marriage. I'm super lucky. And that's on God, period. So let's get into this shit. That fucking interview. Oh, my God. Oh, it was just... Viagra to my lady loins. Fuck you, car. Why do you have to make noises? My car is not a car. It's really a spaceship. It does all kinds of crazy shit. I'm sitting in here. I probably should turn it on to make it stop making that noise, but whatever. Anyway, that interview was wild. I... It's not like a fangirl type thing, right? I want to make that clear. I want to establish my bias before we go into this. I'm not necessarily going into this with the perspective of like, oh my God, I am so obsessed with Megan and Harry and William and Kate and all of these things. I love the British royal family because I find them so interesting and so fascinating. But from a historical perspective, I am... I'm really, really into history, specifically British history. I have done just obscene amount, like doctoral levels of research into the British royal family and their origins and their lineage and where they came from and, you know, tracing it all back and just like thousands of years. This is a, so the current Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, can reliably traced her ancestry back about a thousand years and with a reasonable degree of accuracy for about 500 additional years further back. Um, And that 
is crazy. There are so few people in the world, much less royal families, and they're really the only royal family left in the world that actually counts for anything that can do that, that have that level, that pedigree, that ancestral understanding of where they came from. And that to me is fascinating. So to see in modern times something of this nature play out on a public stage where we have all of this accessibility to them because that was the thing about the royal family is that they're so inaccessible you never get a peek behind the curtain you never know what's going on they are the first family of the world for all intents and purposes if you're listening and you're in America which I assume all of you are because you bitch ain't got that kind of reach but if you're an American, you don't grow up with the same understanding of the British royal family that Europeans do, or obviously the English do, or other parts of the world. The British Empire, it's no longer an empire, but it was an empire for um, you know, much of the 17th, 18th, and 19th century, and is now considered a commonwealth, even into the 20th century, but it's now considered a commonwealth. And these commonwealth countries are places like Tonga and New Zealand and Australia and parts of Africa, you know, up until very recently it was Pakistan and then there's still Canada. They're very, very diverse parts of the world. But it is a like there, I think, two billion people are represented by the Commonwealth of of England, of the UK. And it is so rare to to see the family that controls this much land and has this much gravitas, for lack of a better term, give you an actual peek behind the curtain. And honestly, for me, the interview was really, really shocking. I was not expecting that. I thought it was going to be your standard garden variety, like, oh, a royal went rogue and is now talking shit, you know, to, you know, Diane Sawyer or whoever. That is not what went down. Meghan and Harry really gave Oprah the answers that she, like, the answers to the questions that she was asking, which, like I said, I was not expecting. I was expecting them to, like, dip and dodge and duck. But, like, when she, like, started going into detail about, you know, the status of her mental health and how, you know, how she begged for help and how she, you know, begged for resources and was just met with these closed doors, you know, at every turn. That was crazy to me that we actually got, you know, to see that or to hear that come from someone who actually lived it. You know, we have the Diana interview from, you know, back in the 90s and that was crazy. But I don't think that went to the level that this most recent interview did. So let's talk about it. I think that this is something that because they're now living in America is something that is the this couple is going to become extremely relevant in American culture. They just got here. It's been Corona. Shit has been shut down for months. They have not been able to like get out there and be public and, you know, do all of their cause driven work like they have always said that they were going to. Um. But it's happening. It's going to, it's definitely going to happen. They have signed deals with Spotify, with Netflix. They are coming out with, you know, Prince Harry and Oprah are doing a series on mental health. It is 
Like, they are going to be huge. So I think that this is going to be kind of an ongoing narrative. But I really want to talk about the interview because I think this is kind of going to be something that's referenced for a while. So they start the interview by establishing that Megan is not being paid. She has not been able to, you know, prep for the question. She has no idea what what Big O is going to ask. She has no, she's a deer in the headlights. She's got no prep for this whatsoever, which I actually believe. Um, if it's one thing I really pride myself on is being able to read body language and to tell when people are lying. And I truthfully don't believe that Megan was lying. I do believe that she was um, truthful, which says she's not getting paid. I don't think that she needs the money. <laughs> I think that they have, they have such a lucrative brand just from like a branding perspective and a marketing perspective. She's like, I can, this interview, while I don't need to charge my, you know, $250,000 fee, or I'm sure it's more than that now, um, for this interview, it is going to net me millions and millions and probably tens of millions, hell, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars down the line. Like this was a very strategic uh, non-monetary investment in her financial future. And bitch, I commend you for that. Like, great. Good for you to, for having the the foresight to forego a little bit of cash in the beginning and really use this interview as a jumping off point for, you know, setting yourself up for all of these things that you're going to do in the next comp- coming uh, months and years. So good for you. I really don't think that she was paid. I don't. The thing that I feel she was maybe a little bit not forthcoming with was when Oprah was like, Oh, so you never Googled the royal family? She's said in previous interviews, and when I say she, I mean Meghan Markle, that she had no knowledge of the, you know, British royal family. She had no knowledge of Prince Harry, didn't even really know who he was. I'm like, that is bullshit. I'm sorry. But number one, Meg, you absolutely knew who Prince Harry was. And I don't think she meant it in a way like, I had no idea. I didn't even know the name. Like, this is great. It's like, you obviously knew the name. And I also think that you had um, at least a working understanding of who he was as a human being, who his family was. Um, she has always been a really uh, socially conscious human being. And Prince Harry has a little bit of a checkered past. And by a little bit of a checkered past, I mean, there are actual photographs of him out there wearing a... Uh, 1942 circa Nazi Germany era uh, military outfit dancing with a gentleman dressed up as a a Klansman, a KKK Klansman. Um, so if you didn't know about that shit, I, like what, like what, how everybody, even I knew about that, and I knew about that before I was interested in the British royal family for any kind of historical value whatsoever. I knew about that. I think the kind of the majority of the world knew about that. Also, to say that you never Googled him, you never Googled the family. Bitch, I Google my dog groomer. I Google my nail tech. I Google everybody in my life. That's actually not true. But I knew if I knew I was going on a date or I had been dating Prince Harry and things were getting serious, I'd be like, let me see what the fuck I'm getting into. Let me dig up some dirt on this motherfucker. I want to know everything. How do you not Google him? Like, how do you not Google the fan? Like, not that, right? So I think Oprah's question was a little bit misleading. Is like, oh, you never Googled him? You never looked him up? And she's like, no, 
know everything that, you know, my, he was telling me all the things that I thought I needed to know and what I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Cause also like what, what was she supposed to Google? What's it like to be a member of the Royal family? What's it like to date Prince Harry? What's it like to marry into royalty? What's it like to be a working royal? What is that job? Sure, there would have been some resources out there. I'm sure there would have been some articles that popped up. In general, I, I, I don't think that would have been a like a fruitful Google search, but I would have Googled the shit out of Prince Harry. Find me those pictures from Vegas. Find me those Nazi pictures. Find me his high school transcripts. Find me his military records. Like I want to see everything. Yeah, I'm sorry, but if I'm marrying a member of the royal family or seriously dating a member of the royal family, there are going to be some deep-ass Google searches involved. With all that being said, I do think that, especially as an American, I could relate to her when she said, you know, she grew up in L.A. and she kind of equated these people, the royal family, to other famous people. Like she said, she grew up in L.A., she saw famous people all the time, actors, actresses, musicians, athletes, whoever. And I understand how it would have been easy to make that connection. Like, oh, these are just famous people. And to kind of be lured into a false sense of security, like, oh, this is fine. These are just famous people. I'm just marrying someone famous. Like, the monarchy isn't, like, you know, you in school are taught about the kings and queens of Europe and, you know, whatever, and not in any great depth, but at least a little bit. And because we don't have the same, I guess, like feudal systems now, and also we didn't grow up in, um, in a country with a monarchy, we are decidedly removed from the understanding of what that is like. And the closest thing that we have to a king or a queen or prince or princesses is like Hollywood and athletes and shit like that. And I understand what she said when she said that she was, she equated the Royal family to famous people. And I think that it was really interesting when she said, you know, we were going to Royal Lodge to have lunch. You know, that's where Prince Andrew, the pedophile and Fergie live, his divorced wife who was, still living with him for God knows what reason. Um, that's where they live. And, you know, they got wind that the queen was finishing up a church service at Windsor nearby. And she was going to pop in for a spot of tea and, and see her, her grandchildren, her, her dear son, Andrew, who's a fucking, oh, I hate him so much. He is actually one of the most disgusting human beings on the face of the planet. But that is a different podcast entirely. But, it was interesting when she said that she was, you know, they were heading to Royal Lodge and the Queen was coming and Harry turned to her and said, it's like, oh yeah, great. You know, you know, do you know how to curtsy? And she's just like, what? What the fuck? Because I also, because then what she said was, I genuinely thought that, you know, that's what happened outside, you know, during the walkabouts and the fanfare and the pomp and circumstance. I didn't think that that's what her grandkids and her kids you know, did. I didn't think they curtsied to their mom. Like, that's fucking awkward. But Harry then, you know, followed that comment up with, yeah, it's my grandmother, but it's it's the queen. And I completely understand how at that moment it would have been kind of a, a shock back to reality of like, this is something very different. These are not just famous people. And 
I uh, completely understand where she was coming from with with that sentiment for sure. She then goes on to say, you know, we had a lovely meeting with the queen. My first interaction with her was very, you know, easy and effortless and enjoyable. And the queen was always good to her. And, um, you know, that's, that's wonderful. I think, you know, it's at this point in the interview where they start to, where Megan starts to make the distinction between the British royal family, which is the queen and Prince Charles, who is a cocksucker and Camilla Parker Bowles, who is his wife. And then, you know, Prince Andrew and Fergie and, um, Princess Anne and like all of the other, you know, cast of characters from the British royal of the British royal family. And then separate from that is the institution, which is the business side of the monarchy. And this makes perfect sense to me. I understand that following this interview, there was a lot of confusion about the separation of what is essentially church and state. So England has a constitutional monarchy. The monarchy is no longer the governance of the country. They are a ceremonial head of state and also they are the actual heads of the Church of England. Um, They are massive landowners as a family, as private citizens, because that's essentially what they are. They don't have a formal government role anymore um, with the House of Lords Act, I think it's called. Maybe I'm wrong. But um, pretty much in the late 90s, up until the late 90s, anyone who was a duke, um, that is a dukedom that is made by the monarchy over, you know, the, the centuries before it's given out to, you know, people of high esteem in the courts of kings and queens throughout England. You're given a dukedom or you're given a duchy. And it's basically like if you're in the U.S., which I'm like I said, I'm sure all of you are. It's like a it's like a county, right? Like if you're in, if you're in Massachusetts, for example, you have Middlesex County and Suffolk County and Worcester County and all of the other ones and the duchy would be like a county and then you have lower than the dukes and duchesses they're like the kings of the county and then below them you have the what's next oh you have the uh, marcuses and the marchionesses which is like the female and male version and they are like the mayors of the town or several small towns. And then you have the barons and the baronesses and so on and so forth. So up until the late 90s, the dukes had an actual role in parliament. They abolished that. And with the abolition of the you know dukedoms being automatically awarded a place in the House of Lords in actual government positions was the really, I think the, I think it was the, don't quote me on this, but I think it was the last tie that the actual monarchy, the feudal system had to actual governance of England. Now it's a totally parliamentary system. The officials that are in power are, well, the parliamentary system is a little bit different, but they're more or less elected by the people. And then, you know, the prime minister is elected by the members of parliament. Anyway, that's not important. So 
the monarchy is ceremonial. Their entire business, right? The entire the entire reason they're they're still a thing is because they have public support. They need to stay in favor with the public to maintain their status. They get funding from the sovereign grant, which is taxpayer money, and that can be taken away from them at any point for that for that money to be taken away. They're still landowners. Um, oh, some of the palaces and you know all of the grounds and all the land that they own are owned in right of the crown, meaning it's crown estates, but also every single member of the royal family also owns land privately. Prince Charles, for example, um, still gets all of the profits from the Duchy of Cornwall. He's the Duke of Cornwall. Um, so he still gets like millions of dollars a year because he is still actually the Duke of Cornwall. Shut the fuck up, car. I don't want to be here. I know you don't want me to be here. It's fine. What was I saying? Where was I going with this? Um, I didn't really intend for this to be a history lesson, but I feel... Oh, that's right. That it was at this point in the interview where Meghan really starts to make the distinction between the British royal family and um, the institution. The institution is the business part for, for, you know, for simplicity reasons. The institution is the business part. They have HR and they have, you know, health care for their employees and retirement plans and all that bullshit. And then there's the actual monarchy, which is the British royal family. And what I was saying about... Um, you know, the monarchy now being ceremonial is that they don't have, they are just a family. They're just a family. They have extremely prominent roles in the culture of Great Britain and of the UK and within the Commonwealth, but they don't wield any actual power. Does that make sense? They are still the heads of the Church of England, but they don't have any actual governmental power. Or when Oprah started reading Megan, who claims that she doesn't read any of the tabloids, good or bad or whatever, which is clearly not the case because she wouldn't have had such, you know, horrific mental health issues had she not read anything. Uh, but I understand that's not her fault. It's extremely difficult to ignore that. I don't know how anybody really could. But um, when Oprah started talking about the tabloid spin, Particularly, particularly the story between her and um, Kate Middleton. And, you know, in the weeks leading up to the wedding, there was some kind of dispute or altercation or whatever where allegedly Megan, being this horrible bridezilla human being that she was, made Kate Middleton cry over an issue pertaining to the flower girl dresses. Okay. Why this is relevant is because Kate Middleton's daughter, Princess Charlotte, was a was a flower girl in Meghan's wedding. That's it. So I guess what happened was six months later, the story had actually leaked to the press, and turns out the opposite happened. It was Kate Middleton who made Meghan Markle cry. So the issue, the reason that I'm bringing this out, it's that. This Kate Middleton story and the polarity that came of it, pitting one woman against the other, and the reason that Megan got such bad press and Kate didn't is one, 
Because the media needs to perpetuate this narrative of like hero and villain and is and it's more interesting than that narrative is more interesting than these two women are actually friends and they're both wonderful in their own right. Like you can't come out with a title that says, Oh, Kate is wonderful, but Megan is too. You have to have a hero and a villain. And later on in the interview, Harry came out and said, It's like, listen, you really can't fault my family for um for this horrible relationship, this symbiotic, this codependent relationship they have with the press because they know, that's what I was saying, the, the whole monarchy is based on relevancy. So they, and how how does someone maintain relevancy, especially in a position like that? It's by it's through media channels. It's through media channels these days. And they need they know the other members of the British royal family know that it's like, okay, hey, listen, they're talking about you and I get it and that's hard, but we've all been through it. But if you think that I am going to put my neck on the line to speak out and say, hey, that's not true and have them then turn on me, you're out of your fucking mind. And it was really sad to see that because I think Megan really, truly believed that, you know, as long as she towed the line that they would protect her from the press and that they would go on record and set the they you know set the story straight say this didn't happen this is not correct which they do that's the thing the british royal family they will go on record and refute a story they've done it they do it all the time but for more senior members of the family and where i think this speaks to is the disapproval that megan came into the family with I don't think and I'm going to if I'm going to name a name I don't think that Prince Charles Harry's dad liked Meghan at all I am of the mindset that Prince Charles is a full-on racist piece of shit like this man like I don't know how else to say it but you can fucking see it in his face he is just like this old ass Tory, very like wants to keep the hella vanilla royal family hella vanilla for all of eternity. And here comes Meghan Markle waltzing on in with her beautiful brown eyes and, and you know, not perfectly snow white skin. With a mom who is very clearly a black woman here to fuck up his royal bloodline. I actually really do think that that was the analysis that he did in his head. So do I think that Prince Charles, right, the institution and the monarchy, the British royal family and the business part of the family obviously work together. And who works with the institution, right? Who in the British royal family, who are the very senior ranking members? It's the queen, but she's old as shit. She's going to die any minute. Who's next in line? It's Prince Charles, right? So it's essentially his legacy that he is protecting. William someday will be king. But right now, it is pretty much all Prince Charles that is calling the shots. I really do believe that Prince Charles 
really, really, really didn't approve of Megan because she was mixed race. And I think that he did nothing to protect her in the media. And I think that he made it worse. And I think that he allowed the stories to be run that he knew weren't true. So it was really unfortunate what ended up happening in the media with with Meghan Markle. Um, And that ultimately was what led to her, you know, spiral into this super dark place where she was having full on suicidal thoughts while pregnant. Let me give you that again. This woman was driven to a point of suicidal ideation while pregnant. That is wild to me. And to further compound that issue, she knew it was happening. She knew that these thoughts were not normal. She knew that these were things that had never happened to her before. And she asked for help. She went through the proper channels. She went to the institution. She went to HR for Christ's sake. She's like, I have emails. I have emails of me begging these people, like, let me go to a hospital. Let me seek treatment. Something is happening here that is not normal. I need help. And they were like, yeah, no, we get it. Absolutely. But we can't let you do that. Why? (laughs) Because it looks bad for us. And then for them to have the audacity, you know, this was, you know, obviously months later or even years later for Prince William and the British royal family in general to have all of these PSAs, you know, during mental illness awareness month of, you know, how important it is and how, you know, seriously they take it for her to then drop that bomb and say they didn't give a fuck. They just worried about how it would look. They didn't give a shit about how I felt. I was literally suicidal and they could not have given a fuck less. Makes me lose so much, if not all respect, for the royal family. Part of me gets that this is a thousand-year-old family, thousand-plus-year-old family, that has gone through everything. Pretty much everything that is of any consequence that has happened in the world. This family, a member of this family, has had a direct hand in. That is a huge statement. So I get it from their perspective of not wanting, you know, a moment in time, this one instance of you know this new member not even a blood relative coming into the family not being able to handle the pressure not that I don't think that she could handle the pressure but I don't think that the family was protecting her in the way that they said they were going to and that made everything worse and with you know in addition to some other things that um you know we're going to talk about in a second I I think that they didn't want to compromise an entire family image for a single person who was not a blood relative who had just married into this family. Um, 
I think that they very much just expected her to toe the party line and shut up and be okay. I can't imagine that she's the first person in their family to ever be suicidal, but she is the first one I've ever heard of, at least in recent times. There is a crazy gene in that family, but that's neither here nor there. But she is absolutely the first one who's ever spoken out about it. So I get that. I get that they didn't want to compromise one moment in time for, you know, a thousand years of stiff upper lips. I get that. But at the same time, their entire business is relevancy. You need to stay relevant. The fact that these people didn't fucking understand that one, they were just presented with a moment to really put their money where their mouth is. And this has been a constant critique of the British royal family is that, oh yes, we all just, you know, we all, we all just the perfect family. It's like, no, you're not. We know that you're fucked up, but you don't want to say that. And like, that's fine. But also the gratuitous, like we do, we have patronages and we, you know, we work with charities and we do, it's like, yes, that's all well and wonderful, but you don't actually give a fuck about these things. You're royalty. We can all see right through that act. And I hate that. Celebrities do this too. It's like, oh, I'm walking, I'm working with doctors without borders. You don't give a fuck about kids in, in, in the Congo who were dying of AIDS and these women who are being trapped. You don't give a shit. I'm sorry, but you fucking don't. Maybe some of you do. Maybe some small percentage of like the British royal family or whoever actually does, but you're doing it for the PR and we all fucking see that. And it's disgusting. In addition to that, they had, you know, the the times, it was literally handed to them as silver platter. It's like one of our own is suffering. We understand that this is totally against protocol, but this is actually a cause that we find very worthwhile. Mental health is something that as a family we take incredibly seriously. Meghan Markle will be seeking treatment. I, I don't think she was like trying to hide it. I think that maybe she would have actually been okay with it being used for public relations purposes had she actually been able to seek treatment. And it would have been a win-win for everybody. In addition to that, like I said previously, the Commonwealth countries are, you know, like 40 or 50% people of color. Meghan Markle is perhaps the best brand ambassador, and that's what they all are. They're brand ambassadors that this family has been given in the last 300 years, probably more, maybe ever. And they were like, we're going to nail your ass to the fucking cross to keep all of this press heat off of everybody else. Prince Andrew's fucking disgusting ass in the background. No, 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 no. Let's no one talk about him being on Jeffrey Epstein's island all those times and on every flight log known to fucking man. Let's get Meghan Markle because, like, why the fuck not? We don't need her. She's not anything to us. Who gives a fuck? And these factors combined speak to how insanely out of touch this family is with reality and that they don't understand the the moment that we're in they don't understand that in order to stay relevant to their 
constituency, that's not the right word, their subjects, their fan base, their people, I don't know. I don't know whatever whatever the correct word is. They didn't understand, they didn't have the wherewithal, or they were so up their own asses that they didn't realize that this was a massive miss on their part, and what's worse, they don't fucking care. There has still been no, to my knowledge anyway, no um, statement from the palace on Megan's mental health or, you know, whether or not, you know, they, they haven't even, you know, refuted any of her claims. They say nothing. And that's the thing with them, right? And that's why this interview is so crazy is that they always say nothing. No comment, no comment, no comment. Any statement will be issued directly from their, you know, PR person's office. Prince William did say, we are not a racist family, <laughs> which is in direct reference to the fact that while Megan was suicidal and pregnant, there were also talks, not with her, um, because they don't have the fucking balls to say it to her face, but with Prince Harry, that number one, their son or daughter, and they didn't know if, you know, it was a boy or a girl at the time, one, they didn't want to make her or him or her. It's no, it's a boy. We know it's a boy. We didn't want to make him a prince, which goes against every protocol that has ever existed. So when Prince Charles becomes king, which is fucking any day now, Queenie QE2 has got one foot in the grave. And let's be honest, her husband is probably three quarters of the way there. That all grandchildren of the reigning monarch are all like are automatically styled prince or princess, her royal highness, his royal highness, prince or princess, whoever, whoever. They wanted to change that convention, that protocol, when they found out Megan was pregnant. In addition to that, they didn't want to give this new baby security. How? How is that possible? This is, and this, again, this is the first member of color being born into your family literally ever ever any hint of melanin and you're like you know what I think we're done with this prince and princess thing let's keep it to just um you know prince William and his his family who were nice nice white folks like it's disgusting I am not one if you know me in real life I might this may sound a little this may sound a little a little jarring to who you know me to be in in real life I feel that we um really we take the race thing to another level I'm not denying that there isn't that there is racism I'm not denying that there isn't uh, you know, systemic racism. I absolutely believe that 100%. There is absolutely still uh, a ton of work to be done culturally. But in this particular case, but I don't think that's all. I, let me let me back up. I don't think race is always at the heart of interracial issues. Does that make sense? I think sometimes it's cultural. I think sometimes it's just people being assholes and that's okay. But I feel like we are actually really taking weight away from the word racism when we start to apply it to everything that has 
people of two races involved. In the case of Meghan Markle and baby Archie, this is 100% racism. Like, it's not even a question, in my opinion. They literally wanted to change legislation when they found out that a a mixed-race woman was pregnant with a baby who was fathered by a man who was in direct line of succession to the British throne. They're like, you know what? Mm, this doesn't work for us. We've never really done this before, so like, let's let's change some things around. You're not going to be a prince. We're not going to give you security. And then to find out that there were actual discussions. Again, they didn't name names in the interview because she's a lady. But it was 100% with Prince Charles. I don't care what anybody says. And I think that those discussions had been ongoing for quite some time. Like, truly, I think that when Prince Charles first realized that this could be a potentially, you know, a potential daughter-in-law for for him someday. I think one of his first questions was, oh, well, what are the kids going to look like? And Harry said as much in the interview. And I believe that. Absolutely. 100%. I think that that is totally on brand for our dear Prince Charles. He, you know, is known for his love of his servants. And I mean love of his servants. I mean... Should he, you know, accidentally push some some uh, stationery off into the wastebasket off of his desk, he'll uh, snap his fingers and one of his servants will come over and fetch said stationery out of the wastebasket because he cannot be uh, be made to, to lower himself to such standards to stick his hand in the actual wastebasket. True story. That's actually been reported on, um, which is disgusting, you know, but this is, like I said, this whole... Um, this whole thing with Archie and the conversations of what tone is his skin going to be when he's born and what would that look like that seems extremely believable to me I 100% believe it it is so ass backwards that it is something that truly only a member of that caliber of the British royal family could come up with but yeah I mean I think the whole interview was by and large very sad and very unfortunate to hear you know just how deeply she suffered while member as while a member of the part of the family but it has a happy ending or so they say they decided or really Prince Harry decided and I give him a lot of credit for this Because I do think that Prince Harry, and he said as much, that he led an extremely sheltered life. I don't think he truly understood that, you know, people in the world actually do experience racism. Not all the time, but people in this, especially in this case, do actually experience racism. And I think it took him falling in love with Meghan to fully understand how fucked up some people are and how ass backwards their thinking can be. And it was really, really commendable of him to to call it, you know, and say, hey, listen, my mother died <laughs> in direct. My mother's cause of death was in direct relation to press 
overbearance and just the ridiculous levels of smear campaigns that she endured and, you know, the separation from my father and all of the things that ensued thereafter, I am not going to let history repeat itself. And good on Harry for doing that. Uh, I give him a lot of credit for having the wherewithal to protect his family in that moment and to understand where things were heading. This is the only life he's ever known. It was, it must, this is his family. Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, they are extremely close. And that has been reinforced by every member of the British royal family. They're actually a, a pretty, pretty close family. Not they don't have their problems, but you know, what family doesn't? But for him to walk away from this life, for sake of his wife and child's welfare is um, really kind of extraordinary. It's you're not walking away from like a shitty in-law. You're not walking away from, you know, a toxic environment. You're, you're walking away from a from the royal family in the life of enormous privilege and wealth and fame and money and all of these bullshit things that we aspire to as human beings for a life of uncertainty. He had no idea. Is this going to work? Like, I, I Look, I'm not saying that they were like, oh my God, I guess we're just regular people now. No one knows who we are. We can't get a job. We have no money. Like, I'm not saying that. But I think that when you grow up within the constructs of such a sheltered and specific institution monarchy I I don't even know like if there's like an analogous construct that I can that I can throw out there but I can I can only imagine that it would take a a good deal of of strength to get away from that and Prince Harry if you're listening I truly commend you for that it was it was a wild interview it it really was it was cute they're having a girl I'm really happy they're having a girl girls are great. I have two. Um, it'll be really nice for Archie to have a little sister and they'll be close in age and it'll be really nice. And I think it'll be, it'll be really great for them. Super pumped that they bought a $15 million mansion in Santa Barbara or wherever the hell Montecito them and, and Oprah neighbors now super cute. Tyler Perry stepped in to save the day. Oh, come to my mansion. We're all for you. Security. Speaking of security, the fact that Prince Harry had his security pulled that is wild. That's vindictive, in my opinion, because what he said was correct. He inherited the risk. Never in a million years did I think that Prince Harry would have his his security detail removed. That's wild. That's insane. Never did I think that, that it would come to that, for sure, 100%. Every single member of the British royal family has, has you know, sovereign grant paid, provided security. That was insane to me. I was, I was really kind of shocked about that, but, um, yeah, Tyler Perry, Medea <laughs> came in to save the day, stepped in to save the day. So that was great. Um, but yeah, now they're out there in, in Hollywood hobnobbing with, uh, the rich and famous and you know what? Good for them. I'm actually, I really hope that they go on to as private citizens, build a billion dollar brand and encourage, maybe some other members of the royal family to do the same and that you know they don't need it's hard for me to say that I don't want the monarchy to go away 
it's like seeing a dinosaur. It's like seeing a living, breathing dinosaur. It is truly a relic from the past. Every member of the British royal family can trace their heritage back to William the Conqueror, who landed in Sussex, by the way, at uh, Hastings at Sussex in 1066. And, you know, it was the Norman conquest from there on out. And every single member, every single ruling party of the British royal family of England is a direct descendant of Queen Elizabeth II. And by way, Charles, whatever he's going to be, Prince Charles and then Prince William and, and Prince Harry. It's just really interesting to see that, that there is a connected, unbroken line of family members that exists from that long ago that we have so much history on that we can see that are now playing out in the media it's wild to me I love this I love this on so many levels but truthfully I do wish that you know more members of the royal family would understand that they are not you know they are more than the sum of their parts that they would step out of the limelight and step not step out of the limelight but step out of the the shadow of Buckingham Palace and go do something for themselves. I feel like that would be really cool. I feel like more access is what the family needs. I know that as royals, they want to be aloof and mysterious and like, oh, we're so far above you people, but also, like, you're not a ruling family anymore. You kind of need to humble yourselves a little bit. I think that a bit of coming back down to earth, like, you're always going to be royal. We all know that. Keep the ceremony and the grandeur and the crowns and the tiaras and the jewels and all that shit. Everybody wants that. Keep the palaces. Everybody wants to see that. But as far as the human beings that you are, no more calling your servants to go pick something out of the trash for you. No more, you know, 3 a.m. Oh, could you come fluff my pillow, darling? It seems to have fallen off the bed and I just, I can't get up to pick it up. Please come in here. Thank you. Like, no, we don't need to do that anymore. I think that there needs to be um, some coming down from from outer space for you guys. Sorry. But that's on God period. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, I am really sorry. I kind of sucked for the last two weeks. Like I said, I got ghosted. It really was a bummer. But you know what? That just gave me the kick in the pants that I need to say, you know what? Fuck it. No guess. I'm not doing guess. I refuse. That ruined it for me. I, I'm just going to keep it all Gina all the time. And if you down, you down. If you're not, then get the fuck out of here. We don't want you anyway. But I love you guys. I will see you next week. And adios. Bye.